Okay, I'm ready whenever you are. Okay. And tell me where you want me to be. Stand? Okay. Is it cool if I sit? Yeah. Okay. Yes. <sighs> okay, so I'll go ahead and introduce the filmmaker, and then we'll start our Q&A portion of this event. So director-producer Adele Free Pham is an activist and filmmaker with experience in all aspects of documentary production. Her feature... Her feature documentary, Nailed It, which we just saw, about the genesis and culture of the Vietnamese nail industry, had broadcast premiere on PBS in May 2019, and is the highest streamed film of the America Reframed series. Her next feature, State of Oregon, uses the 2016 murder of Lernell Bruce Jr. by a white supremacist as a narrative touchstone to expose Oregon's founding as a separatist white homeland state and 150 years of racial exclusion and violence that continues today. A short film by the same title was released by Field of Vision in 2017 and has 187,000 views on social media. So please join me in welcoming Adele Pham. So maybe I'll just go ahead and start us off with the first question. Um, why don't you let us know maybe how the film uh, changed you, the process of making the film? Um, I mean, it definitely made me more Vietnamese, for sure, because I went into it living in New York, where there's not a lot of Vietnamese people, don't speak the language, just see my family when I come home. So I'd have to say it's that, you know, and then like those really close relationships with people that I didn't have, Vietnamese peop American people I didn't have before. So that aspect of it, it it's still really incredible to me. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. <laughs> Who in here has a nail salon in the family? Not, not a crazy amount, but yeah. I'm just curious. Thank you so much for coming. I mean, it was really incredible seeing how many people wanted to see the film. Um, you guys blew UCI away. <laughs> you blew USC away, okay? Just in general, I like your campus more than USC. <laughs> I'm going to put that on the record. <laughs> Because uh, coming back to colleges, it's almost like um, I'm browsing for myself. I kind of pretend like I'm in high school. I'm like, oh, would I, what if I like this college when I came here? And UCLA is all right. I was like, yeah, I kind of dig it. It's good. Yeah. Yes? Um, I have like two questions. Sure, yeah. Um, my first question is out of curiosity how long it took you to film yeah. this? Because I saw that you went to a lot of different places. Yeah. And you got in contact with a lot of different people. So that's. One question, okay. and the second question is, how did you get into contact with so mm. many people that were so integral to Right. Yeah. End to end, it took a long time. It took six years, um, and I shot so much more, foot terabytes more footage, really. Um, we can talk about that later and what's happening with that footage. Um, and, you know, documentary is really about your relationship. So me and Kelvin formed a friendship, but he also had an interest in producing a documentary about the Vietnamese nail salon industry because he knew it was a thing, too. And so, you know, when your stars align with someone, you just kind of go for it, right? Um, and he's been in the industry for so long that everybody in the film trusts him. Like, Cotuan, she already did a tippy interview, some other film, you know? Um, and it's that relationship with Kelvin where she said, okay, come meet me for lunch. I'll call Tippy, right? So she's the gateway to Tippy. Tippy wouldn't have done it without Cotuan, right? And it's like, all right, well, we have to make it good. Um, and 
yeah, we tried to get as many of the first 20 as we could together. Subsequently, they've met at Camp Hope, more of them. Um, again, that's another <laughs> topic because it's so interesting. But access, you know, I could go, and Mantrap also has a similar sort of um, connection, connective tissue to how I found out about that story. I mean, I want to say the money, but everybody kind of says the money. Um, it was my first feature film, and it's not like I'm following just one subject. I'm telling, like, a historical story. So it was really hard to give myself parameters because it gets so huge, especially when you consider the supplies and the international element. Like, I filmed in Germany. Uh, I was supposed to go to London, but Kelvin messed something up. Uh, and... Um, Korea, even, and of course, Vietnam. And I know of Vietnamese nail salons all over Europe, even Czech Republic, you know. So you get into these really kind of interesting political quandaries, too, as you're seeing the Vietnamese diaspora all over the world. And when they came, when they started nails, and it all comes from here, you know. It all comes from Southern California and ballooned out, you know. There's so many stories, too. So that was, that was probably the hardest thing, like, okay, let me write what the story is. To just try to understand each other. Um, my hope is to get funding to, I have a Vietnamese subtitled version, but it needs to you know, be produced and, and printed into DVD or however nail salons are really watching media these days. A lot of them do streaming, right? And so can you imagine a Vietnamese mom and pop salon? It's just on, on the HDTV because they all have them, right? And they all do karaoke after work. Those salons. I want those salons. And um, what if it, you know, the Vietnamese subtitles are playing so anybody who's working there, whether or not they speak English well, can understand the story and the clients can watch the story. Then we understand where each other come from, you know, and it really releases a lot of tension inside the salon when you do that. Uh, oh, yeah, please. Um, if you want to share it right now, uh, it's on Vimeo On Demand. So if you go to my website, nailed it, doc, D-O-C, that's my handle for everything. I'm like, I like Instagram, so I'm mostly <laughs> on Instagram. Um, but you can link to the Vimeo On Demand streaming link. Um, it did really well on PBS. There's going to be another broadcast. I just don't know when. And that will um, broadcast on TV and have a short streaming period everywhere, all the PBS affiliates in California. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm looking for distribution. So that's the thing about documentary is like, it feels like nobody has the answers a lot of the time. And especially since so much is changing with streaming platforms, it's like you have to go discover the answer yourself if you don't just have the, the leg up. So, you know, it's a journey. <laughs> I'll do more with the next broadcast with sales and hopefully, um, I mean, I would love this to be on Netflix, not just for a cash windfall or whatever, just so everyone can see it. Cause so many people ask me how they can see it, you know, and they can pay for a streaming link. I mean, I appreciate that. It helps me get back home, but, um, I would just love for everyone to have access to it and to just turn the subtitle onto Vietnamese or any language. I mean, everybody is interested in this film. Latina communities are interested in this film, for sure, you know, and I connect with a lot of people on Instagram, like, oh, I found your film, da-da-da. So if you want to get in contact with me, that's kind of the best way, you know, and then after that, we do email, you know, mm hmm yeah. Uh, not really, I think I interviewed too many people. <laughs> 
Um, you know, Tippy was really the main one. Um, a Angela was uh, surprisingly easy to get a hold of. Um, now I'm interested in what your analysis of Angela Johnson is, because when I screen it to, to young audiences, to college audiences, they don't like her ass. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm, we can talk about that later. Maybe someone has a question about that. But I just called her um, manager, and I think she kind of wanted to clear the air a little bit, you know, because she has respect for Vietnamese people. She has Vietnamese people in the family, you know, um, and she grew up in San Jose inside the salon. And I had to make this film an hour, and I didn't want it to be all about Angela's story. So that's why, you know, she's still a little problematic in there. But I kind of like that. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, she, she's the comedian that does the, you know, Tammy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which a lot of young people had to struggle through. I'm older than that. That video went viral when I, I was campaigning for Obama. I was like out of grad school. But for young people, they had to grow up and hear people who can't do the accent well, like yell that in their face. And that's really annoying. That's another reason why I made the film, because it's like we get so much vitriol for the nail salon thing and nobody ever speaks on our behalf or up for us in the salon. You know, they do, they kind of do in the New York Times, but nobody follows up on the chemical mm -hmm. lobbying, what's going on in Washington, you know, or um, the best technology for, um, you know, filtering the air, making sure people are healthy, educating them, like don't spend too much time doing this education, you know. So this is kind of part of a outreach screening tour that I'm experimenting with, you know. So I want to take it out of the theaters in the colleges though and do them in salons and places where Vietnamese people are who wouldn't come to a, a festival screening. Because we've tried to have festival screenings and come get them and they're like, no, working. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that the activism part kind of keeps me in film because it's not for the money or the prestige, you know. But I, I see the power of film, um, and I think I'm getting better at being able to use it as a tool for social movements that I believe in. Um, and I'm doing that now with my current film, State of Oregon. If you just Google that in my name, the, the film will come up. And um, so I'm extending that into a feature my main character is running for mayor of Portland, the first black woman to ever do so. And I really believe in her as an activist and her nonprofit because I've witnessed her for years doing the work. So I've been thinking about how to use documentary as a tool for a long time to help her with like, um, you know, just helping people, but also now running for mayor, you know. And it's interesting because we're, you know, they'll vote for mayor of Portland in November 2020, just like our general, so... You know, there's there's several things going on at once politically, from state to state. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, earlier, you mentioned how you have like even terabytes of like other footage that you couldn't get into the feature film here. Mm -hmm. Um. Do you think you would ever release like like behind the scenes or even like other snippets? Yeah, totally. Because I'm uh, developing a virtual reality nail salon that me and another co-producer who's won an Emmy for this stuff. Um, are you know conceiving but the idea is that in the 3d salon uh 2d content would be uploaded weekly or bi-weekly where you'd be watching it on the tv like it's the salon but you would see other parts of the story that you didn't get in the hour long and also i'm cutting an 84 minute version for the airlines so you know i work so long in the film i actually have whole scenes that aren't in here um, i just have to do it 
man, you guys, I really need an intern. I really, really do. You know, like someone, I'll, I'll hook you up, I swear. I'll give you all the contacts I have. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I uh, kind of portray the best version possible, but, um, you know, kind of after I was done, I was looking for a young woman character, you know, who I could kind of, was like me or whatever, negotiating the politics of the salon and where she fits in in it, because a lot of young Vietnamese people feel that they lost their parents to the nail salon, and that's a very valid feeling, and there's lots of things that contribute to that, you know, so they felt oppressed by the salon, and that can make you push away without knowing the story behind it, which I feel relieves a little bit of the tension when you step away from the situation. Um, and, you know, of course, there's just a lot of interesting dynamics with first-generation parents and their children in general, the expectations, how they express love, um, trauma from being a refugee. And I experienced that because my dad is a war refugee with PTSD, you know, so, um, yeah. I definitely thought about that, and then also, you know, just these young influencers, it's crazy, they're flying all over the world, and I've seen it happen in the uh, time it took to make the film, I've seen, like, somebody go from working in their mom's salon to now they're, like, traveling to London every other week, right, to um, do demos and do workshops for Vietnamese nail techs in London, right, uh, it's fascinating to me, so to go from Harlem to, yeah, start bouncing around. I mean, I think it's family. I think that you look and copy. So it's like, oh my goodness, we have an untapped market of women here, you know, who are, and the social media like blew the nail thing up again, right? So Vietnamese nail salons are kind of new in Germany, mm -hmm. but I know the main supply in, in East Berlin, mm -hmm. you know, because Vietnamese people started coming there more in the 80s, more of like a sister state mm -hmm. kind of vibe. But they still had family. So again, it's just getting those products out there and bam, setting up and moving and the concept of the Asian salon is out there in the world so it's not foreign to people when they see it. In fact a lot of people want an Asian person to do their nails. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Uh, I mean we get bad rap everywhere and it's like okay well I really want to unpack the human trafficking thing. Is this real? And actually the Guardian retracted that story that they did a few years ago about you know um, nail salons being dense for human trafficking, but we have a huge hu human trafficking epidemic in the world run by powerful white men. So, you know, bad things happen. I'm not saying don't check that, but that's not the story that I found when I was going to the nail salons in the OC and then moving out. You know, I saw like a family thing going on, which I thought what real people need to understand. Yeah, and you know, my dad's really the reason why I got into documentary film. I wanted to make that, you know, um, going back to Vietnam story, and I did, and I found out a lot of stuff I don't know I wanted to know, um, but that kind of pushed me to be like, all right, I don't need to pretend like I'm going to law school. Let me just like try this film thing out and see how it goes, and I don't think you have to go to film school, but I did, and it gave me space to make a film. 
that short film got into all the Asian film festivals. So it gave me like a little bit of prestige and just the sense that I could freelance, make money. And that's what I've been doing ever since, you know. No, I didn't procrastinate at all. Um, it just took hella long. Um, so it was kind of, yeah, this is another story. But I was at a progressive Vietnamese forum in NYC at the Breck Center, and somebody named Julie Vo, who is a, a teacher and um, an activist, she was talking about the California Healthy Nail Salon Collaborative, what they were doing with the outreach, and I thought the chemical story was really interesting. I wanted to figure out if women were being poisoned. This is before I even knew men do nails, were being poisoned inside the salon. Um, and I also just kind of wanted to get that story out there because before the New York Times ex expose, it's always like, oh, these shady Asian Chinese nail salons, you know, it's rarely taking a look at, you know, the worker's point of view and what they're sacrificing with their health to do this job, to do this body service job, you know. Um, and it just, like, turned into something else. It turned on to a personal journey, really, like I said. And, um, yeah, it's been really fascinating down to that line out here, you know. So that, that really validates me, you guys, because it's like – what I say matters, you know, even if I don't get the grant, even if I don't get, you know, whatever, the likes, it's like this film really appeals to young people and that's who I care about. Well, Kelvin was definitely my liaison, right? But, you know, you're becoming closer with people and you're learning, like, who they actually voted for in the election. And you're like, no, nah, damn. This, uh, this, was, <laughs> this is before Trump. Um, I have so many it, feelings about that. I feel like we're the bridge. So especially if you speak Vietnamese, like, that's your job, you know, to try at least and not just be like, oh, they're a lost cause. But maybe sometimes it is, you know, baby boomers are kind of a lost cause. We really might get Trump again as a president because of them. You know, it's like, I don't know. But at the same time, I respect this generation so much and I love everything that they went through. And I want those stories to be out there. But I want it to be balanced with the truth of who we are as Vietnamese American, you know, and connect our refugee story to, you know, what's going on with immigration today. And not just be like, oh, we live on, in this OC enclave. You know, we, we got out of this situation. We did good. You know, we don't have to worry about them. It's like, it's, it's us, it's not them. I have a technical question. The question is, is that all the clips that you use, like from birds and all that, was it hard to get all the appearances for that? No, I mean, I did fair use. And I think, you know, this film could blow the hell up where they really come after me for it. But I hired a lawyer, did a fair use letter, did all of that. All of the, uh, not all, but a lot of the clips are from last days in Vietnam, for example, right? It's actually why I'd have a hard time screening this in Vietnam unless it was like underground because of the South Vietnamese flag and the way that the war is contextualized, right? And my daddy and the uniform and all that. So that was interesting to me too because I didn't think of it as like that political, but it is. Yeah. And so many people, 
in Vietnam still going to nail school, doing nails so they can come here and do that and move back and forth, back and forth. Yeah, it's very interesting. You mentioned filming in Vietnam. So what was that process like? Um, so, yeah, I found out I have sisters in Vietnam that first trip out. So the film actually brought me back to Vietnam. And I think I use film to... My films are always about something else in a way. Maybe you can't see it, but it's a journey, right? Um, so there was that. I have some friends who live in Vietnam, some Viet Q that went back and work in the film industry and just paid for hostels and like, let's go, you know? Um, and I know some nail industry people, but it was hard. I couldn't get a hold of the person I really wanted to talk to in Vietnam. So it was interesting, but I just filmed at, like, the tourist nail salons around Benton Market. Have you ever been to Vietnam? Not like how they do it in, like, the, the real um, your market where it's, like, you know, sitting on a stool on the street, you know, took nail or something. Or, yeah. Um, and I saw that in Cambodia, too, way before I thought I would make this film. I, uh, I went to Cambodia without telling my family because <laughs> I didn't want to deal with anything. So I just went to see my friend. That's the first time I saw, like, you know, um, working poor women, I guess, in the marketplace doing nails like that. But it also being a luxury of service for other women like them, which is interesting to me. And you don't really see it in the film, but when I went to my sister's house and was staying with her, her neighbor that lives below her, like, washes women's hair and does nails, you know, just out of the back of her house, you know. And I did that. So there is just something about being touched that is a part of human nature wanting to be um, pampered, you know, taken care of in a way. And that was kind of the best that I saw in the nail saga that I filmed, those relationships. Um, was there like a struggle for um, immigrant workers who were undocumented? No, because, um, well, right. <laughs> They wanted our labor, really, but um, Carter set the way for us to get refugee um, asylum, which Vietnamese often attribute to Reagan. He didn't care. But they wanted to kind of naturalize all the immigrants, you know, because they needed the labor, and they also wanted to just Americanize everybody. So, I mean, if any of you are doing research projects, I think that era is fascinating. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's never been a huge issue. It's like, but when Vietnamese, mostly, um, you know, gangster dudes go to prison, the recidivism thing and in and out of prison, and then, oh, my mom didn't naturalize me. Now I'm getting deported. That's happening now. It used to just happen to Cambodian people, but it's happening to Vietnamese people now. Um, so maybe that will kind of, I, I haven't seen that it quite connect the old school OG community, you know, um, with, uh, the struggle right now for human rights and, um, you know, immigration in America, yeah, uh, for undocumented people. It's up to us, guys. That's why we're here, UCLA, to do that work because, um, you know, they can't. But maybe I've seen my father change. We worked on him, you know. It can happen. Can you tell us a little bit about, um, like, which narratives? Yeah, I mean, I tell young people, really write the story out like you think it should go. I think if I had started doing that, the process would have been easier because it was like I was in years of research and it was way too much. I mean, you have to understand you have way too much. You know, you get lost in the weeds. Like, everything is precious to the story. And for Kelvin, like, he's kind of ADD, so, like, 
Man, I think I have a picture of it somewhere. We tried to do like a paper edit and it was insane. I felt so depressed. I was like, fuck. This is never going to be over. Yeah. But it ended. (laughs) But how I did the voiceover, it wasn't just like, I'm going to write a voiceover. I wrote the story out as I experienced it and I worked with my editor. So I no longer had control of the footage. And that was very important because I was doing way too much because of monetary constraints mm-hmm. with the time limit and monetary constraints in mind is there like an interview or a scene that you wish you would have included oh man i mean there is an interesting scene with joseph gao the first vietnamese congressman in louisiana and i was down there so that's actually where i was in baton rouge that's where the regal nails is um and he was back in private practice representing Vietnamese nail salon owners against the State Board of Barbary and Cosmetology because they were targeting them for being Vietnamese and exploiting the fact that, you know, Vietnamese salons are always under scrutiny. So they're trying to do a class action lawsuit. I don't know where it's at right now. I think people ended up dropping out because I just don't want to be on the radar like that, and it wasn't moving. Um, and you know Louisiana is corrupt as hell. So what, they didn't they didn't ever have a budget. The the state board's yearly budget was contingent on how many salons they busted and fined. So you know that's the like the the prison for profit problem. Hmm. And and not with the best interest of the nail salons in mind. Like I'm going to bust you. Not like we need to educate. You know. So. I was just going to say that I really like the story between Charlie and Holly. Olivet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I just asked Mike after I interviewed him. I was like, you know, Mike, I'm wondering how the Vietnamese nail salons got to the black neighborhoods. He's like, well, you know, my mom's business partner is a black lady. And, you know, back in the day, they had all these salons. I was like, oh, give me her number. (laughs) And called Olivet, drove out to her house in Moreno Valley. And we just got on like a barn on fire. She thought this was the best documentary ever. You know, she loves Charlie. She loves those. Her, Charlie's kids are like her kids, you know. Um, so it's interesting to see how close they are because you just don't see that, you know. And, you know, I think that story needed to be revealed to me because we needed to see where the nail salon came from. It came from a collaboration from two different cultures. We owe um, a great deal to the black women who decided to frequent these salons and do the thing, you know, and have a larger conversation about the dynamic inside the salons and also how nail techs are treated today, opposed to Man Trap Day when they had, like, Char- uh, Olivet and, and Charlie and Kim to cool anything down, right? It wouldn't spiral because there was always somebody to, to bridge it and just cool it down so it was more respect inside the salon and things cost more money back then this whole price dropping game has bankrupted a lot of the salon industry and made it so it's easy to you know go fine for example you know back Yeah, I mean, I think that's always hard. You just have to, like, navigate and see which organizations appeal to you. I mean, I've kind of had a rough time with nonprofits. So my next film, um, State of Oregon, Don't Shoot Portland, is the name of the nonprofit that Teresa Rayford runs. And just spending time with her, I was burnt out on the whole activism thing. I'm like, ugh, everything sucks. Nobody's organized. I don't know how to organize. I just get mad. 
Um, and so I've really learned a lot from watching her operate and also see how the people that need the money the most don't get the resources. But, you know, time will tell. You put in the work and you see. But I was just seeing people call her for the craziest things because there's no help. Yeah. Um, with the nail salon thing, um, you know, it's a little less of that heaviness than the hate crime film. But um, like I told you, I'm trying to get this film in all Vietnamese nail salons in the Vietnamese language so there's no more barrier, you know. It's really your own intellectual incuriosity if you don't watch the film then because it's right next to the Paris by night. And you have to choose. You have to choose. Oh, Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, we'd be lying if we said Vietnamese people aren't racist. That's, like, we, why we need to work on them, because they don't know their American history. They just come here. They see who else, who's on top. You know, they have their own preconceived notions. And that's a problem, right? So I worked on my dad. Now you all have to work on your dads. <laughs> and don't say, oh, he won't listen to me, da-da-da. That's not true, you know? Um, and... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I show you kind of some of the strife from the YouTube videos, you know. Um, and it goes both ways because I've seen, like, in Soledad Salon, another scene that isn't in there is just, like, this woman getting crazy on them because I was filming, you know, and just going nuts and treating them like slaves, like nothing. And it's, like, it's weird. It's, like, sometimes the nail salon is theater. And it's not always good theater. It's not always scary theater. And it's, like, listen, they just think that we're just here, like, parasites trying to... It's hard work to work in a nail salon. Would you do it for that money? Mm, no, you might have an attitude about it, too. Right. So, yeah. And I've really seen a lot of closeness between some clients and their, their nail techs, you know. So I think um, we kind of need to know what the spectrum is there and negotiate accordingly and, you know, have the right kind of conversations. But be proud of this thing that supported so many people and do your thing to make it better. Don't let them take it from us, you know? Yeah, it's a slow death here in America for Asian Americans. If you're not crazy rich. Hmm. Can you repeat that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think we could have called her out a little bit more. I kind of wish I had made a joke, you know, like, so don't you owe us for your whole career then? Where's my 15%? Something like that. I kind of wish that because Kel Kelvin was running that interview, but he's a little starstruck by her, honestly. <laughs> um, And I was feeling, <sighs> anyways, you know, but I, she, you know, I, I feel for people that felt embarrassed by that because it was just used against us. And it comes from kind of a sweeter place than that, you know. Um, yeah. And it, Charlie invented a lot of those damn sayings. She really did. You know, how's your boyfriend? How's your kid? Like, it, it's just fascinating to me. So Angela clicked into something that's a reality. We can't deny that. She is from San Jose. She did grow up inside the nail salon. She does have... Vietnamese kids in her family, like, you know, mixed kids. So it's not like someone to be like, fuck Asians, I'm going to make fun of them to make some money. You know, it just happened to set off her damn career, right? So where's our 15%? <laughs> Owen, uh, you know much about 
I think I think the film touched upon it too. Like there's some people who have like two, three, four, five nail salons, and there's some people who like. Real, more working class, right? Exactly. So you can't judge a book by its cover, even, you know, because even if it might look like a mom and pop, it could be like almost like an informal franchise, you know. Um, and like um, ABC Dad said, uh, at one time there were some rich Vietnamese people who were just like buying up all these salons, you know, and they needed workers. Like, Reagan needed workers. And, you know, you can bring your family in. But all the Vietnamese people who come in, they know that they can go do this nail thing. I mean, that is amazing. That is amazing. I mean, how many lives has that potentially stabilized? And then to go do your own thing. Um, oh, and in New York City, it's the only place in the country where the market is run by Koreans and Chinese. You really don't see that anywhere else. Um, but the Koreans saw Vietnamese people doing it and they're already in the beauty industry. It was easy for them to go from hair to nail salon. That's what you want. Especially when pedicures came around, it was a whole thing. But second generation Korean didn't go into it as much as second generation Vietnamese. So that's the thing. But there's less of Vietnamese going into it. There's definitely way less people coming from Vietnam. Um, and I see a lot of Latina women doing it. Maybe that's the next wave of immigrant women. It needs to help, you know. Um, so that's been really interesting to see, too, coming in there. Are Latina women opening up their own salons? Um, well, like, let's compare them to Solida. Solida is a Khmer woman, right? She has, But she owns that salon in the Bronx. You don't see any, maybe Long Beach, you see Khmer salons. I don't see them in the OC or around here or whatever. Um, Philly, that happens a little bit, right? But there is this Vietnamese domination of ownership of the salon. Yeah, so they'll have, like, Kamai or Latina women working there. Like, I've had people reach out to me on Instagram and just tell me the most amazing stories. Like, this one woman in New Orleans, like, she just grown up. Her mom did hair. She's a Latina woman. She'd grown up in this nail salon and just asked to, like, have them train her. And she just, like, became a part of the crew. You know what I mean? Learned a little bit of Vietnamese. All She's getting down with them. So I feel like if you show them respect and it's a good vibe, like, a lot of people have been trained that way more than you know because they don't really have a platform for that like are you blogging about that I don't know but they they see the film and they attach to that and they want to talk to me about it mm -hmm. it's really interesting mm -hmm. thank you guys for staying so long um yes. oh god yes uh nailed it doc so nailed it doc and that's my handle for pretty much everything um, yeah. So maybe just as a last question, tell us what you're working on now. You mentioned the State of Oregon. Yeah. So where are you in that process? Yeah, I mean, I'm writing grants. Um, I'm in production because okay. we're following Teresa Rafer's run for mayor. Mm -hmm. So she's already filed the paperwork to run. Um, and that's exciting. It'd be like knocked down the house, uh, knocked down the house with like, just Google State of Oregon in my name and you'll be into it. It's only 10 minutes long. <laughs> it gives you a taste of what it's about. But okay. Oregon was founded as a white homeland state. Their constitution banned black people and people of color, everyone who wasn't white, right? And they really took their cues from California. So it's relating contemporary hate crimes, violence to these, um, you know, exclusion laws. And those laws became sundown towns where if you're caught after dark in a town, you could be shot and killed. It turns into redlining. And now with gentrification, you see what, what happens with that. So one thing doesn't just and it becomes another thing. And sometimes that's more insidious because it feeds into a system that drags people down for money. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
Yes. Again. Oh. I lived for those lines. You got, I'm po- you'll see me on uh, Instagram. Po- I already did. I already did. You'll see it. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's so cute.